Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. This is our Christmas episode of sorts, and I'm happy to welcome back Alison Gray for another thought-provoking chat. We'll get to Allison and my rant of the week right after this word from our sponsor. Hello, post-woke listeners. I'm here to tell you about a new policy with this podcast. Every time, starting in January, every time I have a new episode to share, for the first couple of days, it will be available only to paid subscribers. That will be for a couple of days. After that, at some point, I will release it to all uh, the general public and, of course, all email subscribers. This is just to give more of a bonus to those who are choosing to pay and support the podcast and hopefully to give more motivation for people to consider becoming paid subscribers. And you could do that at mickeyz.substack.com. And for as little as $5 a month, you could become a paid subscriber and support this podcast. So I thank you for understanding and I thank you in advance for considering to be a paid subscriber. So on that note, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Since this is a Christmas episode, I want to share a holiday-based tale that could and should serve as a profound inspiration for all of us non-billionaires. Can anyone imagine today a Christmas truce of any kind in these United States of America? Well, during the First World War, there was a fine example of what the working class can do to overcome the oppressive influence of the elites. It was Christmas Day, 1914, when soldiers on all, side of the, all sides of the battle initiated an impromptu truce. French, German, and British cannon fodder fraternized among the rotting corpses. Enemy soldiers cautiously climbed out of their trenches and walked to a barbed wire filled area that they called no man's land, which separated the armies. Outside of the occasional agreed upon break to collect the dead, the soldiers usually communicated across no man's land with bullets. On Christmas 1914, the bullets were replaced with friendly conversations handshakes, hugs, songs, cigarettes, wine, and more, well into the frigid night. One British soldier who participated in the truce described the moment he shook hands with some German soldiers. Here they were, he said, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side. It's a wonderful image to ponder these reluctant warriors singing carols, sharing photos, and even playing a few games of soccer. In other words, those humans were following instincts instead of following orders. Of course, the high command went nuts, and before long, the slaughter resumed and has basically continued unabated ever since. But remember, Whenever we disobey orders, clasp hands across national borders, and become citizens of the world, we have, as John Lennon sang, nothing to kill or die for. So merry, happy, whatever you choose to observe this year, my friends. And in the words of Thomas Merton, those who celebrate are not powerless. Let's carry that energy 
into 2022. I'll be back with Allison Gray right after this short break. Feel it as it comes down low to a hell it only you know. If you listen to episode two of Post Woke, you'll recognize that as an excerpt from Earthquake, the hot new song from Allison Gray, the mind behind When Humans Had Wings. Check out the show notes for details on how to download that song ASAP. She is here with us again to have another free-flowing conversation. Welcome back to Post Woke, Allison Gray. Hi, thank you again for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, my pleasure. You recently told me about plans you had to write an article about something called the excitement economy. And I thought that would be an excellent jumping off point for our discussion. But before I ask you to tell the listeners what you mean by that phrase, I want to share this anecdote. I typed excitement economy into a plucky little search engine called Google. (laughs) The entire first page gave me returns about something called emotion economy, which related to AI bots learning human emotions as yet another way to manipulate, control, and surveil us. Oh, God. Something tells me this is diametrically opposed to what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, totally. So feel free to elaborate. All right. Well, let me just give a shout out to the person I learned this term from Uh, way back in the early days of the Internet. There was a YouTuber I followed who has since deleted these videos. So I will not say exactly who I'm talking about uh, because I assume she doesn't necessarily want to be known as a starseed anymore. But this woman, Sarah, she used to uh, claim to be a starseed from the system Arcturus. And she did a Q&A video once. And, you know, the video no longer exists. So I'm going to try my best from memory to honor exactly what she said. Um, somebody asked her, what is the economy in Arcturus like? And she got so happy. Like there was this light coming out of her eyes. And she said, they don't use currency the way that we do here on Earth. Instead, on Arcturus, we have what's called an excitement economy. So basically, you do things that excite you, and that's the payment. So for example, if you go to um, a farmer and they give you food, uh, it's because it excites them to grow food and feed their community. And then as payment, you would sing a song if that's what excites you. And so then they would be paid in the excitement of watching you sing and do basically what you were born to do. And she went through all these other examples of the kinds of exchanges that people could have if they were trading excitement instead of money. And she said what she loved the most about this economic system was that because everyone could, you know, would really only effectively be able to pay their way through life through excitement, no one could be stuck in a job that wasn't meant for them. No one could be stuck in, you know, doing a task that drained them of energy. So it addressed the problem that we have with Earth's many different models of economics, where people who 
don't have the right skills or don't have the desire to be in a certain role will kind of force themselves into a role because that's where the bigger paycheck is or because they want to bring honor to their family with like a good title like lawyer or doctor and she said that probably the biggest problem on earth is that so many people are doing what they don't want to do because certain jobs are valued as higher than others but on arcturus um everyone is doing exactly what their soul calls them to do and everyone i guess the payment is equal because everyone's excited and so um that's really all i remember from her explanation but it it resonated so strongly with me i never forgot it and um to this day i you know it i try my best to remember that excitement counts as a reason to do things and that it's it's not um it's not a waste of time and it's not a loss to to pay each other in excitement essentially yeah all right well thank you for the explanation and i like at the end you said i try my best to remember because i found myself thinking while you were talking that we know this inherently as children mm. and so it is something that we have to remember you you watch a child interact with uh, with anyone another uh, well when two children interact the quote-unquote excitement economy is in full effect, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they're doing precisely what they want to do for the sheer excitement of it. Or you could watch two dogs crossing past paths on the street, like on leashes, and they can't wait to get to each other, and they're so excited. Um, but it's interesting when the dog or the child interacts with an adult human, they don't get, they don't always get the matched excitement because we've already had a big chunk of that programmed out of us where mm. you have to be practical and you have to earn a living and you have to compromise and you have to learn how to play the game ironically play the game when because if we were really playing and it really was a game we would be excited it, it doesn't seem like a game it seems like a, a rigged system so it feels like regardless of of you, the the person that you're originally talking about the the origin of this story that's up to each individual to decide how they feel about the origin but it sounds mm -hmm. like it's it's a fantastic um uh, pr thought-provoking concept to interact in like to interject into your daily life like you're not going to overthrow capitalism <laughs> with excitement in one day but you can you can bring a version of the excitement economy uh, or the ex excitement exchange pretty easily into your daily life because I personally believe that when you share your excitement with someone who is even remotely connected with you, they usually feel they usually feel their own excitement and are more likely to then share something exciting back to you. Yeah, and I want to uh, pedal back to um, you were listing off kind of the, the conditioning that we receive. And one of the things we're conditioned to believe is that we must prove our worth and that the most effective way to prove our worth to our surrounding society is by having a good job. Um, and a good job is one that pays us in a lot of uh money and it's like you know we don't think of good jobs as ones that treat us like human beings or um allow us to really radiate our true essence to the world and what i love about this idea of the excitement economy is that it is based on the idea that not the idea the truth 
that what matters more than anything is that you align your behaviors with your soul's essence. And the um, the excitement economy um, can only function if everyone is living their purpose. Whereas in capitalism, it it does seem that there is an ongoing tension between people trying to live their purpose and people trying to make money from living their purpose. And I think that's why there's been such a boom in the, the coaching industry. Um, when I was preparing for this podcast episode, I was really reflecting on what the economy looks like from my perspective and um, in my field, being somebody who is into psionics and metaphysics and the supernatural side of life, most of the people who share those interests, the way they make money is through coaching and um, teaching about like uh, magical traditions and occult knowledge and creating courses on like how to be more magical and stuff like that. And it it's funny because if you really step back and look at what's happening, it's basically every like we've got this system now where people are how do I explain this nicely cuz I don't want to hate on any coaches I've I've learned I've learned so much from so many of these people but um it, it's like you've got people saying with their mouth oh yeah magic is the ability to manifest anything you desire now pay me to tell you how to do that. And it's like, well, if you can manifest anything you desire, why don't you manifest what you need without needing the middleman of money? It's like, I look at these people and I think they haven't really deeply questioned why they're still engaging with money on that level. Um, because if you really could materialize anything you need which is what magic is then how are you still so dependent on on this like fiat currency system and you know i'm a hypocrite because obviously i still have a day job i do make money through freelancing um but i am making efforts to leave that behind and so i've introduced more bartering into my life i've introduced more of the gifting economy into my life and i'm deprogramming myself from this idea that money should matter to me or that the things i do aren't legitimate unless i have a certain amount of money in my bank account um so i am at least trying to undo some of the the automatic uh money conditioning that I've got running in my brain. Um, so it's just weird as a magician to see so many magicians falling for probably the biggest black magic scam history has ever seen with uh, right. You sent me a quote, um, where someone broke down how money itself, like, like physical currency is a giant black magic scheme because you've got the entire world fighting and killing and, hating each other over this thing that only has value because we decide that it does isn't that <laughs> so that's magic that is magic well that's that's dark magic but yeah i i am um, to be, i i also well let me first since you owned up to the hypocritical part i will do the same i mean mm -hmm. here i am talking to you on a podcast where i'm going to be taking breaks asking people to become paid subscribers i mean we mm -hmm. we we understand to some degree that we we live in a society that we <laughs> at least are told that we need money but and so it's very very hard to break that that pattern and to backtrack a little bit more I, when you said how 
in an excitement economy, by definition, everyone would be living out their truest self or living their dreams. And I would say that capitalism thrives on very few of us living out our dreams, mm-hmm. like like certain ones, like billionaires and movie stars and athletes living out their dreams are, are perfect. They, they're perfect advertisements for capitalism. The rest of us, we, you know, nobody, no offense again, nobody uh, dreams of becoming an actuary or something like that. You take it because it's a practical job and you might actually be good at it. Mm-hmm. But, and then the other thing that capitalism does is it, it is it sort of implants dreams in us so that we could even tell ourselves we're living out our dreams, but it's the dreams of the system, not our individual dreams. When when um when my second book came out, um called The Murdering of My Years, and it was the subtitle was Artists and Activists Making Ends Meet. Mm-hmm. I, when I would do talks, I would I would ask people, um like when when you when you talk to a child and you ask them what are they going to be when they grow up which first of all is an insult because they're already something now but yeah. when you ask them that your answers are going to be are going to be fantastical their mm-hmm. their imagination that what they want to be and what they see as possible for them everything is possible as a matter of fact nothing is impossible they could yeah. be a unicorn when they grow up if they believe it and you know but you'll get a lot of ballerinas and and astronauts or whatever it might be <laughs> you, you don't get someone saying i'm gonna be the night manager at rite aid and no offense to night managers at rite aid i'm saying there's not a five-year-old on the planet unless that's what their dad does is gonna even know that job exists yeah. and so uh, th- this isn't automatically an anti-capitalist rant it's it's just it's just juxtaposing this concept that that we we understand as you said we understand that magic on some level exists and we use it in daily life mm-hmm. as a word and as a concept but because we live in a system where the system the people at the top will stay at the top if we buy into the system we're told that things like magic and the occult and so on even manifestation um are crazy are that things that crazy people think of and so we're afraid to be ostracized so we might talk about it here or there but we don't we don't center our life around it and i would wonder i i would just love to see what kind of world we would live in if people were less concerned about looking crazy and more curious about what else is possible out there besides what's happening here? I understand in the short term, particularly if you have a family and so on, you're not going to just say, all right, I'm going to disappear and become this. But there, there, has to be, there has to be incremental steps we can take individually and then ultimately collective, collectively to move away from a system that actively denies us a chance to pursue our dreams. Right. Okay. And I need, oh my God, you said something that triggered the desire to rant. So um, you said if more people were centering magic in their lives, the saddest thing I've seen as a magician who, you know, is surrounded by other magicians, both virtually and in real life. um, The saddest thing I've seen is that even those who are initiates and are practicing some sort of magical tradition or are on some sort of magical path, um, it seems like the main goal, they've been subsumed by this idea that that the ultimate demonstration of your magical abilities is to manifest more money. And again, if you look around at the sort of um, supernatural coaching industry, um, 
the way that a lot of these coaches hook you in is by promising you that if you follow their steps, you'll make more money. And, and so many people line up to give them money to learn how to make more money, which so I, I said that on Facebook once and somebody said, um, give me a dollar and I'll show you how to make a dollar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, like, and it's so frustrating to watch this happen because, um, like, okay, the, the, the argument these coaches always make that really makes my blood boil is like, um, oh, if you, if you're still in poverty, it's, it's because on a subconscious level, you have a scarcity mindset and you have limiting subconscious beliefs that prevent you from making more money. And, and the way to make more money is to go all the way deep down into your subconscious and address those beliefs. Right. And like, there's some merit to that idea for sure. Like it's true. You can, you can have any reality you want by changing your subconscious beliefs. What pisses me off is this idea that the deepest core belief that needs to be addressed is that you, you shouldn't make more money, but it's like, no, what if, what if the deepest wound we all collectively have around money is this idea that we need it at all? I mean, every single one of us in our genetic memory remembers a time before money where we were communities we were tight-knit communities where everybody had a role to play everybody was assigned this role based on what they were best at so that the community's needs were met in the most efficient way possible like you wouldn't ask somebody to be a hunter to feed the community unless they were actually good at it and and so again it is kind of like hearkening back to this idea of the excitement economy where everybody had a role to play and everyone um, was fulfilled by fulfilling their role on behalf of everyone. It was a very service to others format. And some, you know, some communities in the world still live like that. And so it, it irks me to say the least when manifestation coaches and other magicians emphasize the importance of like undoing limiting beliefs about making money when what I think we could be doing is undoing this collective subconscious belief that we need money at all. Um, I think that's the deeper damage. Yeah. And, and that is the, the deeper, um, dare I say solution. It's, it's the yeah. bolder solution, right? We, because you brought it perfectly back full circle to the concept of, of excitement economy. I believe with all my heart that if we, if you got individual people or small groups of people to listen to a version of this conversation, where, where they can put aside the the first couple of minutes, they might make some jokes about not being able to buy a car with the excitement or whatever. But once, <laughs> I once disagree, they, but okay. Yeah, like once, yeah, once they once they allow themselves to to re reflexively resist, which is what we we are all you and I included trained to do. We don't mm -hmm. question this system, but once you could peel that back rather quickly. And so once you peel it back and start to listen, you realize what you're describing right there. Like, the, the, like you said, the hunter, the farmer, the person who sings the song, what you're describing to, mo I, I would say the vast majority of humans would say sounds like a paradise because the, what are you contrasting it against? The people who would buck up against you might be like no i want to i want to be a millionaire i want a mansion and a yacht but they're still talking about this system over here then and, and who needs a mansion and a yacht when you live in a place where 
everyone is pursuing their highest calling and following their mm. dreams and feeling excitement on a daily basis. Like, we, what, what are we afraid of in this world? We're afraid of each other. We're afraid of crime. Lately, we're afraid of people's breath. And, and <laughs> when everybody is excited and pursuing their dreams, as long as those dreams obviously aren't necessarily, you know, criminal dreams that are going to impose on others, that you, you're going to live in a far more peaceful and, and, and enlightened culture. And it sounds like Pollyanna, but, but why not pursue Pollyanna? Like, look what we're, look what we're accepting as normal on yeah. a daily basis. And it's changing on it. Like it's getting more abnormal by the hour. And yet <laughs> when you talk about something like this, you and I sound like we're the quote unquote crazy ones. Oh man. There's like three directions I want to <laughs> go in from that. Um, remind me to come back to this idea of materializing things out of thin air because it's important. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's interesting. You brought up the, the point about some people wanting mansions and yachts. My, my initial reaction to that is, well, there's people who really enjoy building mansions and yachts. So if they were excited to do it and you were excited to receive it, that's the, that's the transaction. There right you there. Go. So you're welcome. But then the, <laughs> o- the other thing is, um, it's worth asking, do people really want mansions or do they want the freedom that comes with having like 50 rooms in your house and, you know, taking up a lot of space? Like, what is it? What does this material symbolize? I think not a lot of people are asking themselves that crucial question. Like, is it really the car you want or is it the admiration you'd get from driving it down the street? Because then, you know, just I know this is so cliche, but just look at how many rich people are miserable. I don't I don't want to hear it anymore from manifestation coaches that um, that like, oh, the real issue is that you're blocking yourself from receiving what you want and and having material evidence of of your manifestations is necessarily the proof that you're getting better at manifesting because what I like to say to people is manifestation without shadow work is just masochism. And I'm going to say it again because it's important. (laughs) Say it for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Manifestation without shadow work is just masochism. So So, if you're trying to. Can you clarify shadow work for any listeners who aren't familiar with that? Yes. So, um, Shadow work is a fancy way of saying examining your subconscious motivations for the things that you want and the things that you do and the things you believe. So, for example, um, you would say, okay, uh, shadow work could be applied to somebody who keeps running into um, abusive relationships, but doesn't know why they keep finding abusive people attractive. So you would do shadow work, which means you would sit down and you would really examine like, what is it about these people I find admirable? What makes them alluring to me? And then you most likely would find that probably in childhood or some other important formative time of your life, you absorbed certain expectations, certain beliefs, um, certain self-limitations from your community, from your family, um, from your own experiences. And now it's become an ingrained pattern in your subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind is where you primarily manifest your reality from because it's 
it's just automatic. It's like a computer running software. It's it's just there. And until you uninstall it and replace it with something else, you're going to keep running that program and running into the same problems. So shadow work is just a fancy way of saying like, it, just like parsing through what's going on in your subconscious and then changing it consciously. So um, I don't, I'm not convinced that most people actually want cars and mansions. I'm, I think everyone wants love. And we've, we've fallen for this lie that love um, can, like that need for love can be met with the kind of admiration and envy that people demonstrate when we drive by them in our nice car. Yes, like, yes. And it's, it's never, you know, that again, that's why so many rich people are just so miserable because they can manifest material things, but you can't manifest um, fulfillment through, you know, unless you've done your shadow work to find what you actually want when you seek out a car, um, the car is not going to make you feel fulfilled. You have to, you have to really understand that the car is just a symbol. Everything material that we manifest is just a symbol. And um, I think that's really hard for people to grasp when they've been convinced that the material world is all there is. And so while I'm on this concept of, of materialism, um, let me go back to what I mentioned about uh, materializing things out of thin air. So I, I know most of your listeners m might not understand what I'm saying and that I'm being literal right now, but I know the magicians listening will understand me just fine. Um, the thing about magic which is really just the science of, of potentials and making the impossible possible. That's really what magic is. It's, it's looking at, oh, I wonder what else is possible and then making it happen. Um, so magic, when you're a really, really, really advanced magician and you are so bioelectric that you warp time space around you, like your presence is enough to introduce chaotic possibilities into every environment you walk into, you can literally manifest things out of thin air. And as a matter of fact, um, that's why I think the excitement economy is like the highest ideal as it pertains to um, social transactions, because you eliminate this middleman of money or currency, which th the value of which is determined by like shadowy overlords we've never met. You know, why? Why did we agree to this at all? Um, and when you eliminate this middleman that like only serves a, a handful of humans on earth and then enslaves the rest of us, then you're just left with the direct contact of dealing with the person in front of you. And really you have to be vulnerable and you have to connect with them. And it's really intimate, you know, like bartering is intimate, giving gifts is intimate. And I think that's what we fear when we rely on money so much. So if we were all to get back to our magical roots and remember how much power we actually have, um, I think we'd all remember that instead of manifesting the money to buy dinner tonight, we could just manifest the dinner directly. Mm. Um, instead of manifesting um, the money to buy a new laptop, we could manifest the laptop directly. And I'm saying this from experience. I've manifested things that I saw no way of happening. Um, there was no logical reason to believe I can manifest a specific item and then it just drops into my reality. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, even with the music I'm making, I, um, I love, I love that this happened and I'm still mind blown over it. But, uh, recently I got into the practice of scripting, 
which is where you know you recognize that your words actually warp time space and so your words can change reality and that's why you have to be so careful what you say and you can actually take this and then write reality as you wish to see it so you write your desires as if they're already true and this is called scripting because then reality then has to follow that script like like you're writing your like your life is a play and you're writing it in real time like so um i wrote a script back in september that i met a musical collaborator who i really vibed with and who's really kind and really brings out my potential and understands what i'm going for and you know i wrote it so that so I would get help from somebody who knew what they were doing in order to get back on my music path, as we talked about in, in the last interview I did with you, because um, getting back on my music path is my highest excitement. And I was like, OK, but I need help. And I, I recognize that I can't do this alone and I'm ready to receive help and connect with other human beings who can help me on this journey. And then, Mickey, I kid you not, the next day. I got a message from a Facebook friend who I didn't know at the time. I had just kind of added him um, haphazardly a message that led to a conversation about how he's a sound engineer and he's a professional musician and he would like to help me learn more about how it all works, how to produce music. And it all turned into a barter where in exchange for editing uh, a, a manuscript that he's got um, that he's basically had sitting around that he's wanted to work on for a while. He is producing my EP and that's our barter. I'm, I'm developing his manuscript and he's developing my musical debut. And that's Sean. That's how I met Sean from making magic. <laughs> and uh, so that's why when I tell people you actually really don't need money, I can't stress it enough. There are ways to meet your needs that don't involve this black magic money system. And, Real quick, if you look at money, if you like really look at, at the U.S. dollar, just look at how many occult symbols are all over it and tell me you're not participating in like a shadow magic operation every time <laughs> you you are. And then even credit cards. Um. Oh, you know what? I, I, I hope I can like pump out this article real fast so I can show people a picture of it. Um. There, if you look at the back of like, I don't know if it's all credit cards or certain ones, there's like an image of a dove flying in like a holographic film. Um, there's like a little holographic film of a dove flying. And if you look into the history of that image, it's actually a dove with a tether around its foot so it can't fly away. And like, what does it say that we we make transactions using this card that features a symbol of a bird who can't fly away? <laughs> like everything about money is so shady, my dude. Oh my God! Well, that last bit that you—it is the perfect metaphor, right? For yeah. a, uh, for a credit card. It, when when you're young and you get your first credit card, you you imagine that it's freedom, and then right. you realize that you can't fly away. Like you you have to cut them up and toss them because otherwise you'll never fly away. I, I love that also that when like when you're talking about you can do x y or z without money like mm -hmm. you are you are talking literally like like th like there's a metaphorical conversation no you could do this without money is sort of like a, a websites that tell you ways to do things on on a low budget or whatever but you're saying no you can you can get a laptop or you can find a you could produce and release a great song and you could do it without money because you by the way Sean for the for listeners Sean's info is will be in the show notes so you can learn more about him yeah. but um like what you and Sean are demonstrating is you're 
bringing both of your excitement to this quote unquote transaction and then doubling the excitement or at least I don't know how to quantify it by by releasing the excitement of art of song and of his manuscript which then it's the ripple effect is almost unmeasurable in fact it is unmeasurable of how many people will read or listen to those those artistic creations and then either be inspired to to make songs or write books or do something else, but the excitement just keeps growing. And what's, if people allow themselves to focus on this, they'll say what sounds like, like to, in our, to modern ears, what sounds like a wacky idea initially, after just a little bit of parsing it out, starts, starts to not only make sense, but also just sounds so much more attractive. Because as you mm -hmm. said, the, the people who want the material stuff, again, that's part of the programming and also, as you said, it's it's a replacement for other stuff that they can't, they haven't yet been able to find. And and or for that matter, to to bring back to what you said, there are some people that would be would love to um, that their excitement could be in building um, luxury yachts. Like that that for them, that's what they they love the, the sketching it out and the and the physics and the, all the work that goes into it. And so they we they would match up perfectly with someone who wanted a luxury yacht and yet there still doesn't have to be money changing hands and there doesn't have to be this cutthroat competitive environment that we currently live in now be before we go to the next thing we're going to take a really short break here but um you i want you to think about what how we how to sort of wrap up this conversation in a way that we could give practical input to listeners as to how to introduce into their life concepts like um, excitement, manifestation, magic, and so on. So mm -hmm. we're going we're to get to that, but right after this short break. We're back with Allison Gray. And for those who are curious about her, you could check out the show notes to learn more about her writing, her music, check out her Instagram, and so on. All the links you need are in the show notes. So Allison, before we went to the break, I mentioned um, some interest in you offering some general input to people who are listening to this, but may not know where or how to start to introduce these concepts into their life. Yeah, so um, I, I should acknowledge that I talk about magic very casually, and I talk about supernatural abilities and things that have been quite literally demonized by our culture at large. And so it can strike people as um, dangerous or stupid or crazy and all these negative things um, to consider doing magic for themselves. They think of, you know, they, they hear witchcraft and they think, oh, God, no, I can't do that because then I'll go to hell. And um what I really want people to understand is that you're never not doing magic at every moment of your life. Every thought you think, every feeling you feel, every action you take shapes your reality as you know it. The thing about magic is just becoming conscious of the ways you're shaping your reality. And that's really what it means to do shadow work. That's really what it means to manifest things. It's just, you know, shining light on the subconscious mechanisms that contribute to your perception of the world and of your own life. So uh, maybe instead of saying magic or manifestation, I could phrase it as 
um, applying conscious intent to the things that you do and say and feel and believe in order to influence your reality to, to be more like the reality you desire. And so when we're talking about money, um, I think the first practical step it's funny I'm saying practical step like this is so practical but um <laughs> but uh utopia right like let let's talk about what it what it means to to contemplate utopia um this this can be hard because our culture is so uh fixated on dystopia there's so much media out there like lusting after the apocalypse like you know um zombie movies pandemic movies um disaster movies there's so much programming that makes it harder and harder and harder by the day for people to conceive of a better world and so the situation for a lot of people especially with this covid psyop looks really really hopeless and so i want to remind people that it is a literal truth that everything you can imagine is real the first thing, though, is that you have to let yourself imagine it. So in a utopia, you know, like, like, really, let's talk about utopia. <laughs> in utopia, would you need money to feed your family? No. No. Right? And, and, and then there's another thing that needs acknowledgement, which is that even the utopia conversation has been hijacked by these, like, evil technocrats. Like, the thing that comes to mind that spooks people when we talk about not dealing with money is that article by the World Economic Forum, You Will Own Nothing and You Will Be Happy. Yes. And it's, like, it's, it's like pro-socialism. Uh, or I, actually, you know what? I'm not, I don't have the brain for economics. I don't know if that's even the correct way to, do, to uh, refer to what it is they're trying to bring about. Um, but basically, we've got these elites trying to convince everyone that it's such a good thing to um, let the government become your source of all your needs, like food and water and shelter. Um, what I'm proposing is that we don't need them at all. Again, we don't need the middleman of money or the people who determine the value of money, which is the government. What we need to do is remember that we are the engineers of reality and we have to let our, our imaginations go to those places where um, we could invent economic systems that have never even been seen before. Like forget capitalism, forget socialism, forget communism, forget all these other in-betweens. Um, we could literally have an economy of excitement. And so that leads me into the second thing, which is in many ways, we are already practicing an economy of excitement. Um, people are going to do what they want to do, regardless of whether there's a monetary reward or not. Because again, on some level, all of us know that money is not the most rewarding thing ever. What we all really want is to feel loved and to feel fulfilled. And so um, one question that I think manifestation coaches get right is they often ask their clients, um, you know, if, if you're trying to create a, a life path where you're making money from what you love, they ask you, um, what do you do on a daily basis? Like, like, what do you do in your free time that you don't get paid for that you would do anyway, even if you didn't get paid for it? And so they're like, start there because that's a sign that that's something you're motivated to do um, regardless of what the incentive is, because it's that that is your true essence coming through. And so, um, for example, uh, I find myself writing even when I don't have a paid platform to publish it, because writing is like 
something like a soul compulsion. Like I can't, you can't stop me from writing. Right. And Likewise. so I would start there. You know, I, I, you know, I run hologram press on donations. So, um, that's how much I am compelled to do it without the middleman of money. So I would encourage everyone to start with asking themselves that question. Like, what do I do when I have free time and I'm feeling pretty good and everything else for the day is taken care of. And now I I'm just left to my own devices. Right? So the answer to that question, of what do you do when you're totally free to do anything is usually the best place to start asking yourself what do i have to offer the world that um that i do motivated by excitement and that would excite others like you know what do people come to me for in my case um people come to me for inspiration that's something i'm really good at i'm really good at, at opening up possibilities in people's minds and that's something people tell me all the time they're like oh my god i didn't believe in magic until i started reading your stuff and, and it's like well yeah because i'm gonna talk about magic whether i get paid to do it or not and because i fully trust that magic is real and it keeps working for me over and over every single day of my life just more magic happens and um you know, I actually, I think I'm kind of getting off the point here. So I'll, I'll let you um, chime in before I say anything else. No, I, well, I just wanted, when you mentioned, I, just, I wanted to interject a quote just because when you mentioned the part about how people really don't want money, they want to be loved, they want to be fulfilled. It reminded me of this quote from Fred Rogers, AKA Mr. Rogers, where he says, you know, I think everyone longs to be loved and longs to know that he or she is lovable. And consequently, the greatest thing we could do is to help somebody know that they are loved and capable of loving. And it's almost like he just really wrote a manifesto for an excitement economy right yeah. there. And so I guess to, to, to rein it in then at that point, if again, if somebody was listening and they were like, all right, well, what would be... What what's what's a step I could introduce into my life as, as soon as this podcast ends and say, like, what what am I what am I just not thinking of or what have I been programmed to not think of that I could just shift my perspective a few degrees in one direction or the other and then that would open up doors and windows that I've that I haven't looked through since I was a child. Oh, um, <laughs> so aside from contemplating utopia. And asking yourself, like, what do I do when I feel free? Um, I think the next practical step is to actually be brave enough to offer barters and um, learn how to give. And the the wonderful thing about the excitement economy is because the the payment, so to speak, the compensation is intrinsic to the action. Um, you will feel excited and fulfilled regardless of whether someone repays you for what you've done. And so it's like there's almost like no way to bring you down once you're doing what excites you in life, because whether someone gives you something in return or not, you're still excited. Right. And there's a real mm -hmm. freedom. There's a real freedom in like it's it's part of the self-liberation path to find what compels you to live bigger and do that thing um, regardless of the consequences. And so, um, yeah, I think the practical step would be to actually experiment with like, you know, um, let's say there's an artist you really admire and you don't have the money to pay them for what it is that they do. 
you could ask them, what else can I do for you? Can I, you know, um, would it, how can I show you my support in a way that doesn't involve money? Um, could I share your stuff? Could I, um, do you need costumes made for your next performance? Do you need, um, someone to help you set up your stage or, you know, there, there's always a way to support each other in the excitement economy. And the only way you'll find out what that way is, is if you are brave enough to ask. And, and actually that, actually that was what I wanted to say before we took our break. Um, I want to give a shout out to artists because, um, if, when I think of the excitement economy, I think of artists because most artists are lambasted for like accepting no payment in exchange for what it is that they create. And it's like artists are so looked down upon and then but then they're caught in a bind where if they start compromising their art and if they start making art that's more commercialized and and profitable they're accused of selling out and mm -hmm. having no integrity so it's like well what do you want them to do <laughs> and and so um i appreciate that artists you know they are the utopians they are the ones who show us what else is possible they're the ones who anchor the force of imagination here into the material world you know they like think of surrealist painters like salvador dali um, who, you know, showed us these surreal landscapes. They don't exist except in his mind. But, um, when you look at his paintings, just looking at them gives you a sense of awe and, and it's it, awe is a signal that you are onto something new, right? That, that your heart is opening to possibilities. Um, and artists are so crucial for, for being able to generate that feeling in their audiences, um, it reminds us of what's possible and, and how much of our potential we've abandoned or rejected or suppressed. And okay, so actually that's my final recommendation yeah. on that note. Um, <laughs> there's this practice I've gotten into inspired by Carolyn Elliott. She's a wonderful writer. I really vibe with her. And she encourages you as part of awakening your inner genius. Um, the part of you that has all the best ideas and, and lives life to the fullest. Um, she encourages keeping an inspiration journal where you write down absolutely anything that gives you that feeling, that spark of excitement or awe in life. So it could be a quote that strikes a chord with you. It could be an image that makes you like gasp. It could be, um, you could write down an event that happened during your day that, that blew your mind. Um, so you could put anything in this journal, a dream you had that you thought was interesting, anything that makes you feel inspired. And the point of keeping this journal is that over time you will start to see a common thread between all the different things that make you feel that way. And you'll find your soul essence through observing these symbolic representations of your own self back to you. So for example, the things I tend to write down in my journal involve astrology. And I think that's because part of my soul's essence is, um, to be an astrologer. I, I love reading the stars. I love sensing those subtle currents of energy and, and people often come to me for astrological insights. And that's because that's part of my soul's higher calling, I do feel. Um, and, you know, as long as I stay on that path where I'm inspired by the celestial, um, celestial events, um, I know that I'm fulfilling 
part of why I came here. And so inspiration journals are a great way to find what it is that someone can do to, to participate in the excitement economy. I love that because it's also a way to counter program what we've been taught to value. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you're, you're by writing down a moment that brought you to a place of awe or reverence is not something that is automatically translatable to um, income in today's world. But from the time where, at least in high school, we and we meet with our first guidance counselor, they try and get your feet on the ground and, and you know, get your head out of the clouds and do something practical. And I understand where they're coming from to some degree, but it's it's sort of beaten out of you that that your inspiration journal um, it doesn't have to be what you've been told inspires people. What what we see in movies, what we see by this worship of of wealth in this country and on this planet, and instead just having these moments and and you know people you could call whatever you want like. To follow up on excitement economy, it could be your excitement journal or your gratitude journal, but anything that causes you to stop and just really, really appreciate being alive, it, like you said, the, the, the wonder of that is that over a little bit of time, it starts to reveal itself as a pattern and you learn, you, you, I'm not even going to say you learn, you relearn about yourself because we know this inherently, what excites us and what we really want in life and we know it as a child then there might be a time period where we forget it because of cultural conditioning. But the good news is that it's always recoverable. And then once it's recoverable, you take actions to, to, to honor it and to live your life that way. So I think, I think that would be just a, a, a wonderful collection of steps that you just suggested there that, that to remind people that, that um, they have, that so many more things are possible and they have more freedom than they imagine. And I know you were, you were using it colloquially when you were saying in your free time, just to remind people that, that time is free. <laughs> like, like you, yeah. like, like you, ha- your free time is when you decide it's your free time and, and you can, you can structure your life in a way that makes sense to you without worrying about what other people think. And, and so I, I think it's, again, thank you for a wonderful collection of, of inspirational, uh, tips and suggestions and just ideas that that I think I hope will, will inspire people to sit down and start their own journal and start and to rekindle their own journey. So I I appreciate it and of course I appreciate you being on Post Woke yet again. Thank you again for having me. This is a conversation my soul has been <laughs> eager to have and there I don't see much space for for utopian conversations in the world. Um, so I appreciate you providing space for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And let's let's say that, let's encourage everyone listening that uh, um, in, this, in this time period where people start pondering New Year's resolutions to make 2022 a time of utopian conversations and utopian mm-hmm. musings. I um, mean, because it, if there's ever been a time that for us to, to move in that direction, it's right now. Um, so again, thank you. This is only my eighth episode and you've been on three times. So you're, you're practically a co-host at this point. <laughs> and, I, and I do want to point out to listeners that you and I talk, we have long phone conversations and conversations like this aren't just reserved for recording for a podcast. We talk like this all the time. And, and I say that in a way to encourage people to seek out these, these heart 
rendering and, and these heartwarming conversations and these mind expanding conversations. Life doesn't have to be small talk and or saying what you think someone else wants to say and trying to surround yourself with people that will just go off on tangents and challenge you to think of new ideas and challenge to challenge you to challenge your own conditioning and thinking. And that's something that I'm blessed to have in our in in all the years that I've known you. And I'm I feel even doubly blessed to be able to share it with all the listeners. Oh, I, I'm excited to talk to you all the time. As a matter of fact, I always used to say, man, I wish we could like share our conversations with people because I love our conversations. And now we're doing it because it excites us to do so. And there so we it's go. like we're leading by example. And that that's one more thing I want to say about practicing the excitement economy. You kind of have to be will not kind of, you have to be willing to be the one person who eschews money and chooses excitement over profit sometimes like and it's okay to be the only one because once you spark that fire um people will be inspired by your example it might take some time for it to unfold in their own life but once you plant the seed it starts to germinate and so you you just have to be willing to just go for it and be excited even you know in a world where excitement is discouraged and everyone's like people are practically begging each other to be scared right now like that that's the world we live in everyone's so afraid afraid of the air afraid of politics afraid of of economic collapse afraid of the apocalypse and what we're doing is is radical in that you know we're not activists like we used to be who just symbolically like hold signs and chant things like we are changing the frequency that our heart space emits in order to uplift those around us who you know who we come in contact with on the quantum level and that's really where it starts like it, it's the hundredth monkey effect once enough people do this and it doesn't take many people to do this things start shifting in that direction so i really hope people will take this seriously that excitement does have an effect on the material world but you may not see it immediately but it is there perfect i i can't think of a better way to wrap up so allison Thank you as always, and uh, merry late December to you. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm sure we will have you back on here soon. And listeners, go to please go to the show notes to catch up on on all the links that you need to to learn more about Allison Gray and follow her and buy her song. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for having me, and thank you everyone for listening. Okay, we'll be back right after this short break. Feel it as it comes down low. I'll be right back with my story of the week. Wow! Mommy's kissing Santa Claus! Back when I was a teenager, there was an interesting character we would see around the neighborhood all the time. He was a relatively young man, probably at that point in his mid to late 20s. It was hard to tell, but he clearly had some type of um, cognitive issue. He would be walking around focused straight ahead, didn't seem to interact with anyone else, arms swinging as he walked quickly, and he would be talking in this very monotone voice. And if you got near him, you would hear that he might be reciting snippets of textbooks that he recognized, rem memorized, or uh, mathematical equations. And he um, was just a really interesting character. And to our credit, even though we were troublemaking kids, we never really gave him any trouble, but I can remember at some point 
um, in a car with a bunch of my friends and we saw him walking and we slowed down and I, I yelled out the window to him, um, I don't agree with the Pythagorean theorem or something like that. He stopped dead in his tracks and seemed like he wanted to uh, engage me. It was almost like finally a, a worthy opponent. And so he just was somebody that we were, were aware of. Um, he became more of a legend another time when a friend of mine, Frank, was out jogging and that's not something Frank did often. So he was, he reached about halfway to his goal and had to stop and he was clutching his side and walking slowly. And this same man was walking behind him and caught up to him and walked step a few steps with him. And while staring straight ahead, started talking about eating steak and eggs and started talking about nutritional needs, but he kept repeating the phrase steak and eggs. So when Frank told us that story, this guy became known as Steak and Eggs because we never knew his name. So eventually we didn't see him around, years passed, and honestly I forgot about him, but I don't know, I'm talking about at least 15 years later, probably more, um, I suddenly started seeing him on the subways. And he would come through the subway train like a panhandler, but he wasn't panhandling. He would just be singing a song and he would be singing it so seriously. And with that same straight ahead thousand yard stare, he had a nice voice and he would sing a song and walk through then walk, cut in between the cars and go to the next train and I guess do it from there. And it was very, very interesting because typically, obviously, in New York City, if someone gets on the train and sings, they're expecting some money for it. So it was near the holiday season when um, I was on the train trying to read a book or something, and I hear this monotone voice singing, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. And so I knew it was steak and eggs. And I looked up, and he walked slowly through the car. And he would stop every now and then to just get into a particular verse. And he did that near me. And I made eye contact with him, but obviously he didn't know who I was. And it, he looked very dirty. And um, by that point, I was assuming that he might have been in a shelter or, you know, who knows if he had been living with his family in the past. But it was it was kind of sad. But I took some solace in the in the palpable joy this man was taking just in the act of singing. He wasn't singing for money. After Steak and Eggs left the car, I found myself pondering the lyrics I had just heard him sing. And I'd like to share some of those uh, musings with you now because, hey, it's Christmas time. So we begin with, I saw a mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last night. Now, it's possible that mommy is a single woman, but the early implication in the opening verse of this song is that she's not. In fact, three things are certain. We have strayed a long way from the original story of St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Sinterklaas, a man known for his generous propensity to give away whatever he owned to those, to those in need. Our modern commercial version of Santa is definitely married. And this song's mommy doesn't seem overly concerned about her kids catching her as she gets busy right in the middle of the living room. Now, next, other lines. She didn't see me creep down the stairs to have a peep she thought that I was tucked up in my bedroom, fast asleep. Now, why would mommy assume such a thing on Christmas Eve? Kids are notoriously trying to stay awake in the hope of catching a glimpse of this elusive and mysterious cryptid named Santa Claus. Every mommy knows that. Now, some might assume the kid in the, in the song is dreaming. 
In psychology, there is something called the Santa complex in which young children idealize Father Christmas as if he were their actual father. Others might say the song's youthful narrator is merely witnessing mommy kissing daddy while daddy wears a Santa suit. But since the kids were assumed fast asleep, why would daddy even bother dressing up? Role play, perhaps? The plot thickens. Then I saw mommy tickle Santa Claus underneath his beard so snowy white. Kinky. So let's recap. We've got potential adultery and or role play, along with some very disturbing exhibitionism and now a tickling fetish. What's next? Does jolly old Saint Nick have a Tinder profile featuring a twist on the phrase, gather around the Yule log? What a laugh it would have been if daddy had only seen mommy kissing Santa Claus last night. Now, hold on. Can we just please slow down? How old is this kid and why in the world would they want mommy to get busted in the middle of hooking up? What a laugh it would have been. Perhaps the kid thinks mommy has had it coming for a long time. Or maybe they have issues with daddy and would genuinely get a chuckle out of seeing him walk in to find his wife in the living room canoodling with a rotund older man in a tight red jumpsuit. Either way, there is some serious dysfunction going on in this family. Now, I'll never know what steak and eggs would have thought about any of this while he sang his heart out on the end train. But man, I would have loved to ask him. That does it for Postwoke Episode 8, the Christmas episode. I'd like to thank Allison Gray as always, and I'd like to wish all of you a merry late December. And I invite you to keep listening, keep questioning, and keep your guard up. I did! I did! I really did see Mommy kissing Santa Claus! You gotta believe me! You just gotta